1: Oh, it's a goal, who got the assist, who got the assist? Hello so they say absence makes the heart grow fonder and as the awfully written meme puts it this week I miss the football so very much. Check what you copy and paste people it makes you look like a poorly translated foreign cartoon. But anyway in a parallel world it would be an international break Uh, so we may not have podded anyway so in effect we're coming at you with a bonus podcast this week. Small silver linings eh? I'm joined today by Anthony and Nick. First off Nick, back refreshed after being consumed by Mother's Day festivities last weekend. You are right, mate how you going?
2: surviving um, this isolation currently
1: managing um, a child
2: who doesn't sleep very well gets up at 4 a.m every night so uh, a bit of a challenge there but um, got my home office now set up in the spare room so got some privacy at least during the the working week um, just to say who we are as you know we are who got the assist you can find us on twitter at wgta underscore fpl for tom and um, at wgta underscore nick and at fpl stag we're also on instagram if you want to follow us there wgta.com FPL. So what's on the pod for this week, Anthony?
0: Another week down in quarantine here as well in the Belgian lockdown. They've reinforced measures and extended the measures, but they haven't uh, tightened up the rules anymore, which is nice. But uh, this week on the pod, obviously no football to talk about. Surprise, surprise. But nevertheless, there are a little bit of information that's come out from the Premier League which we will discuss briefly and then what we're going to do is move on to a game of sticker twist talking about the rules and the setup of FPL as it is now and just talking maybe briefly about what we change about it as well and then we also have a bunch of listeners questions to sift through so we thank you for those and looking forward to going through them
1: yeah thanks for those and um, yeah just a preface before we move on obviously in this poll we're not going to speculate about covid a huge shout out to key workers and people are uh, you know putting their lives on the line basically so we can be safe and we hope this podcast is taken hey, with the spirit in which it is made which is simply to hopefully make a small positive difference for you all the main thing this week is talking about that stick or twist game uh, just to update you guys on uh, our thoughts on what's been announced which is unsurprisingly that that initial April the 30th uh, deadline is looking like it's going to be extended it doesn't seem feasible at this point but uh, we'll come back in what would have been game week 36 in the FPL calendar.
0: Yeah so what we've had since we last parted is a joint statement from the Premier League the EFL and the PFA together and effectively what those organizations did was agree to Uh, work together to mitigate the economic impact of this current suspension um, on professional football in England and they've agreed to work together to arrive at shared solutions, whatever those may be which is quite interesting, but doesn't really tell us much more than they're thinking about trying to be cohesive with how they approach things. Uh, Maybe also of interest was a report from Ornstein in The Athletic. And having already previously reported that all of the Premier League clubs had agreed 100% to finish the season, that was only about 10 days ago. Already, there's growing feelings within the clubs that this season perhaps should be null and voided and that the the whole thing should be just played from scratch at the start of next year but he does point out that for that to go ahead they need a huge percentage of the clubs to agree to this and be 14 out of 20 and with that in mind it seems unlikely that that would happen Uh, even Harry Kane has uh, joined in on the action now and he says that the season should be finished by June if it is to go that way so We've learned nothing, but (laughs) at least we've uh, more to ponder. And I guess maybe the reality of how long we're going to be going without any football except Belarus and Nicaragua to enjoy at the moment.
2: Obviously, a lot of people watching the the Minsk derby over the weekend, uh, which was, uh, I think, recorded uh, with English commentary for the first time ever. So uh, a few people getting their football fix however they can, it seems. Uh, yeah, also worth highlighting, since I think we last did our pod, that the leagues below the National Leagues have um, declared their seasons um, null and void. So um, some movement there in terms of some of the lower, lower leagues, but still very early days in terms of what happens with the Premier League. Obviously, it's you know huge financial contracts potentially up in the air if they did go that way. And, you know, there'll be potential legal cases from the likes of um, Leeds and West Brom as well if their promotion um, chances are denied.
1: In the face of everything, I mean, the players and the PFA, especially, have been saying that the players, even if it's behind closed doors, are not going to be playing uh, if there are any safety issues, which is completely fair enough. I, I guess I can kind of see why. I mean, Harry Kane said today that June has to be the date that the season gets cut off, no matter what. And the closer and closer we get, and we to speak about it last week. It's not going to retread it. Stag's idea of a of, of a summer jamboree of FPL uh, may well still occur. And the president of Belarus actually has just said that. Um, he's not going to cancel anything and that vodka and saunas are going to beat the coronavirus. So there you go. Um, we at least have the Belarusian Premier League to look forward to. I wonder if they've got a BFPL, Belarusian Fancy Premier League. We oh really my word,
0: imagine. Is Alexander Tleb still playing? <laughs> imagine. He is a former professional footballer. How's disappointing. It would have been nice. I saw Alexander Tleb play um, for Belarus against Ireland in a pre Euro twenty sixteen friendly in Cork. Uh they beat us one nil. It was terrible. <laughs> that's the that's my Alexander Tleb story.
1: That's where every island game is either one nil or one one.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much it. And usually our goal tends to come after going behind. Play play poorly, go behind and then just start lobbing it in and get Big Shane Duffy or somebody else maybe to put it in.
1: Pro Shane Duffy in uh, in isolation with Lewis Dunk still. Um, right, okay, let's move on to the uh, to the stick or twist game. Then. And we've, what we've done for this, we've looked at key features of the fancy Premier League and broken them down into three sort of umbrella groups, positions, scoring and economy. And we're going to speak about a couple of things and just basically come to a collective decision or you know, a minority report style uh, two to one on whether they should stick or twist with a few things. So the first thing I guess is positions and I guess what's really interesting perhaps just to muse on um, is could they be more complex with these because you know the idea of having a goalkeeper, defender, midfielder and striker feels very passe, doesn't it? It feels very championship manager, 2001 sort of vintage. And now you've got the ascent of offensive mids, you've got wing backs becoming such a huge part of the game. Can we still even put these guys on the same pedestal? Can you kind of be uh, comparing your Gary Cahill to your TAAs? What do you guys reckon? Should the positions stay as they are? I mean, the, in a, the advantages, they are very simple, but I guess it doesn't reflect the modern game, does it?
0: Positions definitely, I think, could do with a little bit of work, but they don't need to overcomplicate it either, as far as I'm concerned. I think if you're to start splitting defenders into wing backs and centre backs, I think that's going to get quite difficult and arbitrary with some players. Um, whereas, I think in midfield, especially, that's where kind of things descend into farce at times, where you you could well have a team with seven strikers playing because of you know having a bunch of midfielders and then your strikers on the pitch, and that's that's kind of pointless. But the reason why they're doing that, of course, is to try and like keep premium players in the midfield who might be playing as forwards take Mo Salah or something who's going to have a heat map very similar to any striker maybe with a bit of a side on it But for me, I think what you can do is if you just split midfield in two, you have not necessarily defensive mids in the the DM Gareth Barry type role that you're thinking of. But if you just have midfielders who are defensive and midfielders who are attacking, just a general split there to try and just give a bit of variation so that we don't have to like lob all the salas of this world into the strikers and make that a mess. But still find a way then maybe to reflect those positions in the scoring as well.
2: I think it's challenging. Obviously, um, with with Sky Fancy Football, you do have those those wingers are classified as forwards. So the likes of Raheem Sterling or Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, they're all classified as forwards, and that kind of you know adds a bit more um, you know gravitas to that forward role. Because I think the problem is when you look at the selections within the forward, you kind of very, very limited in terms of this, the stock that you have available. I mean, this season we've got the likes of Marcus Rashford and Pierre-Emerick um, Aubameyang, but even next season, because of the way they've been playing in their positions, their clubs, they're potentially going to be classified as midfielders. So essentially what you're kind of left with is sort of your, your Harry Canes uh, and not much else, to be honest, in terms of who you pick for that forward position and I think with the midfielders it's a good point you know because you've got essentially you've got your likes of Kevin De Bruyne as for instance who would be a, a classical midfielder you know players like David Silva maybe as well and you know Dele Alley or Christian Eriksen who's he was at, um, at Spurs would be real midfielders and then you've got your, your attacking wingers your Sterlings your Salas, your Mane's which could potentially be classified in a separate category but I, I do think that when you start trying to separate the midfield slots like that it, it does add too much complexity to the game, and we we do have this problem. Obviously, that you know, in, in modern day football, you know, as you said, defence, midfield, attacks, very kind of two thousand and one. But um, you can go down a road where you start saying, "Well, defensive midfielders, maybe they deserve to get you know a couple of clean sheet points, um, just to kind of make them." an option, you know, so you could bring in the likes of Fabino or Kante into the game a little bit more. But then as I think we talked about one of our previous pods about how Kante under Sari was playing a more attacking role. And then does he get reclassified during the season or or how do you play it? Because I think in modern day football, we see so much positional change with players and you always have out of position players in FPL every season that it's going to be more and more the case if, if you start adding more formations to the game
0: do we start to question whether we need three striker slots? And maybe if there's an extra midfield slot, is that the solution to our problem? You create a bigger conundrum in terms of initially selection and then obviously who to play week in, week out in midfield. You know, at the moment we find that we sometimes have sacrificial lambs in the forward line just because. Maybe this would be the way to get around that.
1: Yeah, it certainly makes sense to do it that way, to say, OK, let's just go with six midfielders, as you say, and then two strikers. I mean, as Nick just said, like if the likes of Marcus Rashford get reclassified, then the stock is going to be so thin, isn't it, going forward? It's untrue. But I guess what is different about it, too, is the fact that football does change over time. You may well find that, like a, a forward-heavy four-four-two system of two pure strikers, may become the formation that's in vogue by next year. So, I guess that that's the reason why they've kept it as it is for so long. You've got your five midfielders, your five defenders, and just your three strikers. That said, I mean, I think there are some instances where they do just just game it effectively in terms of how they allocate player positions. So, I mentioned Mo Salah, I mentioned Sadio Mane, um, in terms of you know, starting positions last year, for example, Mo Salah was number nine. Like, no dispute on quite a few occasions. Um, Alexis Sanchez in the past was a striker for Arsenal, no dispute, but remained a midfielder just because there wasn't kind of the premium options in midfield to cover if he was moved out and I think that's probably the case this year as well with Salah and and Mane because if they'd have been moved out in the midfield and put into the striker slots then I think it may have unbalanced the game a little bit so I guess there's an element of balancing with this like the more I think about it the more we've spoken about it 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 kind of feels like this is like the least worst solution although we want some deeper sense of complexity maybe the positions isn't quite the place to do it so maybe for me possessions are a stick Uh, what do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think we didn't even cover the defence, to be honest. And, you know, the the situation of Chelsea's um, defence, for instance, when they're playing 5-3-2 with Alonso virtually attacking attacking winger, virtually forwards more more than defending. And then Asper is he is he a central defender because he's part of that back three or is he a right back or, or what does he do? So, yeah, I think it's um, a stick for me as well.
0: Yeah, and I think when you really put it through time, I think least worst solution is probably the best way to characterize the positions as they are right now. And we're going to have the erratic out-of-position players, but they do make the game interesting. So for me, in this case, it's a stick.
1: Yeah, making it overly complicated may be uh, just a bit much. and You may just descend into a bit of a strange situation. All right, uh, so the next bit, if we're saying stick for positions is scoring. Um, so this breaks down to a few kind of key areas. The biggest part of the crapshoot is uh, holding the gun for the captaincy armband. And I guess you know we have one fixed captain, don't we? Every weekend, and basically all of our hopes and dreams for that game week do rely on that captain more often than not. Like if you do get your captain off, you're more than likely to get a green arrow, unless it's like one of those where there's an overwhelming herd on on one guy. There's other options out there. So Sky, for example, have a revolving captain. Every game day, you can make a captaincy pick. And I think a couple of the tournaments were a bit like that. So captaincy first, then, do we think that that should stay as it is? Could that possibly be changed? So for me, I'm definitely pro this kind of revolving
0: captaincy idea. I've really enjoyed it in the World Cup and Euro formats. I feel like it's the way that maybe people like us who spend a bit too much time watching games and tracking fantasy can benefit and get ahead of the herd. And it's also a way of just keeping people engaged And maybe also just when your weekend is almost defined by or your game week is almost defined by how well your captain does, as Tom alluded to, especially when the templates take hold. It's it's, it's quite harsh and just that you kind of you live and die by your captaincy so often and maybe to allow you to play kind of a game of almost 21, where it's like, do you stick or twist on the captaincy that you've had on a Friday, on a Saturday, on a Sunday? That would, I think, make it more interesting. And so I'd be pro it.
2: Yeah, I do think that it would add an additional complexity to the game for sure. I mean, it, it would be a, a sweeping change and obviously we do we do tend to find that the captaincy very often is a crapshoot. You could have a really good week if your captain scores two and, and your mate's captain gets a brace, then you're essentially... 10 points behind him and, and that can really, really impact your game week and I think having the option to, to pick multiple captains over the course of um, a game week and revolve it would um, definitely help the, the more informed managers and it can help with planning and add an extra complexity to the game when you think about the sort of the Friday night and the Monday night fixtures when you're making your transfers you can start to think actually I'm going to bring in this guy, he might be a Bournemouth player but he's got a Friday night fixture and and that really adds an extra dynamic and we, you know adds debate to the game, do you target players based on fixtures, or um, you know, the timing of the fixtures, and, and things like that, and I think you know, um, it. I think um, that added complexity, and it's not a. Ma- it wouldn't be a major, major change. It would just be a, a, a slight change. I think with um, I think would go down well um, by and large with the community as well. To be honest, so um, yeah, I'd be relatively pro that change. I think.
1: I don't know because it, it, I've played Sky for the last couple of seasons. It, it feels like a very Sky thing. And then that into FBL, although that's a subjective thing to say, just doesn't feel quite right. Rationally, if I look at it, though, there are lots of positives. Like as Nick said, there's natural dynamic. Would it change the game? Maybe like we'd probably see more hits wouldn't we as people kind of ramp up each week and, and kind of think oh if, if, if I get this guy and I've got the Friday this guy and I've got the Sunday this guy and I've got Monday Night Football um, and I think people might be a bit less cautious you know over the last few years there's been a prevailing tailwind that oh you know you've got to be cautious like the FPL general and uh, Matthew Jones have been kind of putting that into the popular cycle you've got to be careful you've got to roll your transfers you've got to you know, be reconsidered so maybe, maybe that would change and the game would be more exciting as so people would be taking more and more hits every week like I'm guessing if that's Stayed the same, but there were more captains every weekend. People would be a bit more cavalier. The other big positive, is psychological, isn't it? Because if all goes wrong with your captain, especially if you're taking a gamble that week, it can be a ruined weekend to some extent. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you're going to be bawling your eyes out or anything like that, but it's going to piss you off. Um, so maybe the fact that you've got kind of your safety net of at least one other captain could really help a lot of people psychologically uh, if their captain does blow up in their face.
0: And I, I think just one other thing that we haven't mentioned in this is just that I think it would mean that it would unlock the ability to captain non let's say attackers more frequently, because let's say if you can often because of the way the TV get, uh, game works a lot of the big games are scheduled for sunday if you were friday night fixture and saturday fixtures the 3 pms etc you could quite often let's say you could captain a defender and then you kind of if you think there's going to be a clean sheet in the friday fixture for example or in one of the saturday ones okay pick captain your your defender there bank your 12 and then you can kind of sit and reflect and look at how the game week has panned out for you so far how have your differentials done how is the meta doing and then you can kind of play your own gamble within I, I just think that that extra variation in the game would be better too.
2: For me, that would be a twist in terms of the um, changes of the rules. I think um, you sound like a twist as well, Stag. Um, yeah. A bit twist. closer to on the fence, but seem like you might be leaning towards a twist.
1: I don't know. I, I, I like the fact that it's high stakes with the captaincy. I think that that's a unique part of FPL. I, I can see the downside psychologically that people do get so wrapped up in it. And if you do get your captain wrong, it can screw up your game week. I do yeah. like the fact that it would change the game, but would it change FPL from being in FPL? Right? Would it then become a different game entirely? That would be what I'd be unsure about. I mean, the other thing you can do with Captain C, which I'm sure a few people will be yelling out right now, if they're in distance left, that is, um, probably would be saying, well, you can get rid of Captain C altogether, just don't have a captain, because that removes a lot of the variants, right? Like, a lot of people do get annoyed at that every week, but they just say, oh, you know, because some people have just captained and they've gotten lucky with that, I suppose that that could be another consideration. But it sounds like from both your faces, that, that maybe a no.
0: It's just for me. If you're talking about changing the captaincies uh, so that it doesn't, let's say, define how game weeks go, to, d- to just remove the captaincy entirely seems like a far more radical suggestion than to just allow the captaincy to shift around from player to player, and it. I, I just think that it would just keep people more engaged. It's going back to that thing we were talking about, how FPL is a marketing tool at the end of the day. And I think building engagement is the key. And this would mean that even Monday night fixtures might become interesting. We've Plenty of game weeks have happened this year where, let's say, the, the big... Two players of the game week that people were banking on to score as captains failed let's say it was Raheem Sterling pretty much for most of the first 10 game weeks aside from the very first ones and let's say if Mo Salah or something blanked as well then suddenly like there was a complete crapshoot um with the captaincy and there were so often weeks where all of us came on here every other podcast came on it was just like oh four points from the captain
2: I definitely wouldn't be in favour of taking away the captainship completely. I think removing that variance will just create more of a, a template setup that we're all stuck with and all our scores being very, very similar. So that would I would be pretty anti that idea.
1: Okay. So in terms of the captain then, um, I think would stick in terms of it still being there, but I'm not sure. It sounds like you were both twists and I'd stick in terms of how it is set up. So. Um, minority report rules it sounds like that's a a twist from wgta although i'm not convinced Um all right next thing then uh, bonus points the eternal question why didn't x get bonus i only care because i own him if i didn't own him i wouldn't give a but um yeah bonus points are one of those uh, arcane things which come up every year annoy people no end and the ongoing debates annoy me no end Um but worth mentioning i think just because at the moment they seem a bit bizarre to a lot of people they're not very transparent in how they're reported as i've talked about ad nauseam and perhaps they could be redeployed reutilized to do other things for example i argued a couple of years ago um, that defensive midfielders could be brought into the game uh, using bonus points and um, so you could get something like if you're a midfielder at the moment clearances blocks and interceptions are all lumped together as part of one bonus point sort of allocation if you split them out for midfielders and said you get one bps a a bps point makes up the bonus points which then give you that number which the top three then get bonus if they they all split and players you know like Kante, destroyers are able to get those points um allocated uniquely then maybe you get a the situation where you have a defensive midfielder in the running for two or three bonus points every game so you have a player who costs 5.0 or something like that um who was in the running to get four or five points every game like that would make things really interesting because then you'd be like well okay you can spend loads of money on your players like you know martial Ali, something like that yeah you're going to play i'm going to pay that eight million for the richard lisson or i could pay 5.5 for a good Bamin who's likely to get me four or five points every game week like that creates an intriguing sort of difference doesn't it and maybe it could be a nice way to overhaul bonus points and bring a lot of defensive fielders into the game so solve the problem that we spoke about earlier in terms of the positioning maybe a bit geeky though what do you guys reckon
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to be largely echoing what you say, Thomas. I really would like to get those DMs into the game further and rather than kind of proposing a radical overhaul that almost kind of goes into minute detail about how many tackles and blocks and, you know, what pass completion rate that every midfielder has and trying to bring that into the game i think there's enough to research already without doing that sort of thing to us but if we know that those defensive midfielders as you say are in the running for three four or five points depending or even have their own separate bonus point system for those players that they can kind of pick them up if they meet certain thresholds or something i'm throwing that out as a random idea it would be a just just a way to get them in but i think as well it's just to give greater clarity into how those points are being calculated. Okay, yes, we know how they're calculated and like what goes into the metric. But what we don't know often is the numbers that are actually being in the multipliers to get the kind of the quantum to figure out who actually gets the bonus points at the end of the day. That causes excessive confusion and too many questions for people like us. But, it's probably a rights issue there to do with the sharing of stats and giving away too much. And that's probably the reason why they haven't done it yet. But at the same time, I think there'd be a lot to benefit if we could just see the numbers
2: having that extra transparency behind the numbers would be appreciated by most FPL managers as, as you know the bonus point system is, is very contentious and it's always prone to debate in the community as to why certain players um, got the points and I think sometimes that uh, you know certain forwards so Salah types also sometimes I, I think are marked down a little bit too heavily uh, because of a big chance missed and you look at some of those big chances missed and often it's almost like a solo effort that created the chance in the first place, and you can get mark quite heavily down off the back of that and I do feel like that needs a little bit of work as well I feel like some of the forwards that take plenty of pot shots like Salah sometimes unfortunately um, fall out of the bonus points and it's, it's not too fair to be honest I think
1: I think bonus points definitely an area that could be revamped, could be looked at again. Obviously, it's a little bit complicated, which um, given the FPL's MO of just making things very, very simple might be a bit of an issue. But I can't imagine it being that difficult, can it? Just to say, you know what? And Didi is going to be in the running for a couple of extra points every week. Why not? I mean, that doesn't seem very difficult to do and let the nerds like us understand the full impact of it. But let the casual crowd kind of think, okay, well, these guys are maybe worth looking at again. And I'm finally in this area, the chips. So, I don't know if you were you playing in the time before chips when it was just the wild cards? I'm I'm 10-year I'm veteran of 10-year veteran, so. so you were playing when you were six. Okay, great. Um, but, <laughs> but in but in general then, um, I think the chips, um, a lot of people have, have not liked them. So they're you know, a bit ginnicky, um adding that kind of extra random element, aren't they, to some extent? And obviously when it all goes wrong, it can really go wrong. Uh, Leroy Sane, Capsi last year, Sado Mane this year.
0: Oh, my God. I and that flashbacks.
1: What do you guys think about chips, then? Worth keeping? Could they be altered? Like, you know, Elite Syrian, I think, they do a few different sorts of ones.
2: Yeah, I really like chips, to be honest. I like the ones we've got. I think the one they got rid of all out attack because it was a bit rubbish. I kind of, you know understood why they replaced it and I think um, adding the free hits it's chip impacted in terms of how we managed the blanks and the doubles and added that extra dynamic which I, I really like and I think you know they play a key um, element in terms of our double game week planning and when best to use the chips and you know it's a really interesting discussion point that we have over the course of the season so potentially you could look to add more chips to the game you know maybe one or two more you know more for more complexities to the game and, and more variables and more things for us to think about more things for us to debate about to prevent it from being too formulaic so in terms of chips
1: i'm very pro i'm behind that as well and i've uh, said for a while that i think i what i'd like is a menu of chips uh, curly fries sweet potato now we'll talk about potatoes later on and um, but what i would like is basically the idea that you say so you've got a menu of six you could possibly use but you can only use three during the course of the season that would be awesome because people would then kind of go for it and they, they'd make their own decisions and you'd have like you know a, the template way of doing it I suppose the Ben Krellin way and other people like I know I'm using my you know, part of the bus chip actually this week and you'd have so much different, so much more variation how the season goes yeah you'd be putting things over to luck a little bit but I think that'd be really interesting um, I suspect it would probably be a bit too com- complicated for FBL to explain um, but I think it would be really really interesting too it would be interesting to, if you did have a few more tools in game because a lot of a lot of the time we talk about at the start of every season how important the start is if you do fall behind it can be really really hard to make up that gap a lot of the time if you have done very well at the start of the season that can basically see you through for the rest of the year and if you are in uh, a little bit further behind maybe kind of having some different chips that could possibly help you that may not be applicable to people who are miles in front could be could be really really useful. I'm largely pro
0: chips. I've never, I think, benefited from chips all that much. I think every time I've deployed them, something has gone horribly wrong somewhere along the way. But nevertheless, I would still be pro the chips. I actually like your menu idea, Tom. I don't think I've ever heard that one proposed before. But even putting in something like a bit of a red herring kind of option there, like let's say you just get a free extra 20 points in a given game week at some point would be in there in that menu of chips for me. I think it would just cause so much confusion, so much like extra tactical nows would need to go into things. There'd be more fixture analysis that goes with it. I, I I really like the idea of the chips at the end of the day. It's like, it's just so hard to get them right, isn't it? So I guess coming back to our stick and twist on this whole entire area of scoring. First of all, I guess the bonus points, folks, I think lots of us seem to be thinking twist in some sort of way,
1: got to be twisted. It can't. It, yep. it shouldn't stay as it is. Even though I suspect it probably will. I think uh, I'm in favour of a twist
2: there.
1: Easy, and then finally chips. It sounds like we we like again. It's like with caps and C. We like the idea of them. Um, and if it were as they are, then cool. We'll we'll stick with that. But there is room for a twist if needed. Right, and then finally the economy. uh very exciting area to speak about. Uh, but in terms of this one you know, price changes being a, a key part of things. The prices is rising in full daily. It's the first thing a lot of people look at in the morning while the season's properly going. And, you know, it's, it's just done in a black box isn't it we've got absolutely no idea how it's done the fpl don't really mention the mechanics behind it it's left to algorithms to try to figure out how it works what happens with it and you've got a very strange situation where you've got an external company and they fix and monitor the market like should this be changed should this be more transparent one and should it still happen daily that you have price changes
2: yeah i know we've we've sort of debated this on the pod sort of significantly before, but I think even this season in particular it's it's really felt like there's been some real flaws in terms of the structuring and timing of the price changes and they have felt very random um, in terms of like some of the sales and just not seeing a player drop or or a player unexpectedly drop and even you know that you mentioned in the like fancy football fix or FPS statistics who have been i feel like in in previous seasons they have been a reliable indicator in terms of tracking the prediction and who's going to be rising who's going to be falling but this season in particular it felt like um You know they haven't been able to track it as as well as they have in previous seasons, and and you know there's been sudden price um, changes that just felt like surely there's no algorithm behind it. It's almost just someone deciding as and when. Oh, I've decided Anthony Marshall is going to drop tonight, and you know holding it off, um, you know breaking the algorithm essentially because you know you look at some of the the falls, for instance, within a week, and you think that player really should have fallen when you look at you know, his um, ownership and the amount of sales. And, and it's just not happened. And it's it's kind of been a little bit unexplainable. So it's definitely um, an area where FPL could be improved dramatically if they, you know, just provided, like, almost the bonus points, but even more extreme, you know, in, t- in terms of some actual clarity in terms of why players are falling and why players are rising in the way that they do.
0: For a game that is effectively set out to try and be as simple and understandable as possible for any even casual fan to get into, the economy thing is just poorly explained in general. So many people, we often get tweets about it, don't understand why they've sold a player and now they have to buy them back for more than they paid the last time and why do they have one number on their team page and another number on the actual transfers they could do so much more with it if they actually kind of opened up the algorithm to us and just showed us like how the forecasts, even just like are players going to fall are they going to rise what day even just show progress sort of thing and we could work the rest of it out ourselves if you maybe add a skill element to it but as it is right now I just think it's too confusing. It just allows for tinfoil hat theories to kind of grow about, oh, well, why didn't that player fall? Or, oh, why didn't they write? I like the actual idea of having the value changes. I just don't know how it's implemented.
1: Yeah, those like tinfoil hat theories that uh, Anthony just mentioned are definitely true. Like you'll see people going, oh, why hasn't he risen? Oh, it's because Mark Sovens owns him. <laughs> it seems very kind of like, you know what? It could be so easily fixed if you just told us how this works. Like I, I just don't, See why it has to be so complicated. I really don't. I like the idea of it being there. I think the idea that prices change over the course of the season is absolutely fine. That's cool because it reflects behavior, it reflects kind of people doing things and uh, you know the the risk versus reward of making early transfer versus waiting to the end of the week. I, I like that. I like the fact that throughout the course of the week, you've got something to think about. And I think that they like that from a marketing perspective because you're logging in, you're looking at it, you're doing X, y and Z, you're engaging with the game. Um, so I, I think it probably should stay as it is, but I think it just needs to be explained. Like, how the hell are they coming to this number? It's kind of a, a cousin of bonus points in that respect, isn't it? so yeah it sounds like the economy then just to round off the section is a is a is a stick really i mean we we like the fact that it's there on sky you don't have the price changes it just makes it a different game um i think that that's a unique feature of fpl that you've got that economy running although it does seem a bit farcical at the moment that it's still running uh during uh during this off period all right let's take a break there guys then and move on to the questions who got the assist who got the assist Alright, so uh, let's move on to the next section, and it's things making us smile. Um, So it's our new section we're going to do each week in place of a dad watch and such like. Um, It's basically a meme watch, uh, meme updates. Uh, so last week we spoke about the big lasagna, we spoke about uh, the guy who got the A or B, stuff like that. Uh, this week there are a few new entries, so Uh, The time spent looking at exponential graphs between January and March going upwards is uh, definitely one that's uh, that's caught my eye this week. Another one um, is... uh hate them but you know if you're a football person that meme where you have to put a photo of uh, something to do with football without comment what I particularly love about that though as you may have kind of intuited from the very top of the podcast was that it was written by somebody for, for whom clearly English isn't their first language so at the very end it said missing the football so very much and it just looks hilarious when you had loads of people like FPL general for example being caught out not reading what it said it just looks so stupid because it just clearly just wasn't written by somebody who speaks English very well the yeah. football so very much like, why <laughs> i was i was comparing it there uh off
0: mic to uh when football managers say in this moment it's kind of a thing that's come from the spanish and portuguese speaking managers but now you hear the likes of even graham potter saying and eddie howe as well i've heard do it either, in this moment we're struggling and you're like no, graham like, get a great man
1: <laughs> Yeah, eddie howe saying in this moment all the players are injured and then they're all fine <laughs> uh on, on the next day yeah, yeah um yeah elsewhere you've got your tag five people stuff coming alive again so remember when we were younger and people were just like oh if you don't tag five people in this you're going (laughs) to die Now we're saying all right so name five jobs that you've had uh, tag five people as well there's a question later on actually about the jobs that I said that I'd done um, but I'm going to stop tagging other people whenever I get tagged now I think the chain needs to stop with me and yeah that's a wider meta joke there and uh, until tomorrow uh, something that um, Stag as a member of the young generation can probably explain because I'd actually no idea what this is so yeah i had to explain it
0: on twitter as well uh, with because <laughs> it was causing quite a lot of confusion when i posted a picture of my avatar with until tomorrow written on it and people tomorrow what's on tomorrow I got like three dms about it and quite a few messages as well off to the side but basically until tomorrow was an instagram thing which i presume probably started in the states and then came across and the idea was that someone posts up an instagram usually it's an embarrassing one and it will oh, it should be an embarrassing one with the caption until tomorrow. No context, nothing else. No tagging people, no nothing, if done correctly. And basically anybody that liked your Instagram, which said until tomorrow with you looking like a state, uh, you had to DM them on Instagram and say, oh, you've been caught out. Uh, this is like this chain thing. And you must now put up a post for 24 hours with the caption until tomorrow of you looking in the state, basically. And so it will be deleted tomorrow. So until tomorrow, you get to see this picture. Uh, Um, And that was pretty popular. It was great. uh... Oh, I didn't,
2: didn't post a picture with you in a state though. It was just your, your avatar. So that was
0: the the, the joke was was that oh. you know
1: like nothing changes when you're beyond an avatar. Yeah, it me. just it's went so whoosh. It's so meta. It's worse. <laughs> oh, all you young folk. Um, oh, that reminds me. Then there's quite a few go around on Facebook as well where it says, oh, you know, like, someone's mum has four children. So ex- it's north, east, west. What's the other kid called? I, I lost to this, and the answer is obviously someone. Because that's the, that's where the thing is. the terrorist. Absolutely, in the fr- in the fridge there is free items. What do you open first? You obviously open the fridge first, and people just get in that room. Oh my god! It's, it's all these people awful. that are
2: coming back to the internet that haven't
1: haven't used it in about fifteen years
2: because they um, had social lives and now they're confined to their homes and all those all those chain mails are coming back from when they were teenagers perhaps
1: yeah maybe i mean speaking of uh, teenagers uh, there's one great one that um, we were giggling at um with uh, well you know last week it was lasagna this week it was a woman on zoom who decides to put her <laughs> show her video uh, when she goes to the dog um while on a group call which is absolutely brilliant. Um just Google Zoom fail and you'll soon see this one. Are there any more memes out there? As stag as our, as our resident meme expert, I'm sure you may have seen a few more.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know I've got loads um, of uh, memes and internet content that have been making me smile. So just like the uptake in video phone calls, I think that's been pretty great. It's been smiling a lot at that. One thing that I've really been enjoying is a bit of a trend on Instagram. The footballers have moved on from keep you up with toilet roll. And now it seems to be a lot of Spanish players trolling, um, usually their partners, with this... Uh, troll where you fill a glass of water and you ho- you hold it up to the roof and so it's it touching the roof and have the gets someone to stand on the chair and hold it and then all you do is you just uh, just leave them there with the chair just stuck and they can't take the chair away themselves without drenching themselves and um I don't know. It's pretty funny. So the person is just stranded with a glass pressed against the roof. Uh, there was a nice little video as well um, that I think if you're looking for a smile, you should look at. Um, there was a, a poor girl somewhere in Ireland and her, her birthday party was cancelled. So all of her friends, their parents drove the kids around and they all came across the front of her house, like in their cars in like a procession with their little happy birthday signs and like shouting and waving and stuff it was some pretty heartwarming stuff there.
1: Yeah, I so saw the paramedic uh, who was given a round of applause as she was going to work uh, over that warm soul, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very, really, really cool. And obviously, uh, the big clap uh, on Thursday for the NHS workers was really cool as well. Okay, people were... Uh, whooping and uh, mashing horns here and things like that. It was really, really nice. Right, uh, in the community, uh, another shout out to Champman FPL. I did a quick video for them uh, not very long ago at Fantasy Champman, but I think the window has closed, but I'm looking forward to that one. And also, uh, we really do a commercial message, but uh, Tom and Stefan, uh, two guys who you may know, um, Tom especially, is Ron Weasley, who's into Planet FPL, doing their Would You Rather question. Um, Their company, Beer Nuts, is obviously struggling a little bit at the moment because they work with Bars and uh, all the bars are shut, so they teamed up with uh, a company called Siren Craft Brew to bring you the ultimate isolation beer care package to keep you entertained while at home. And so you get a few a few beers, plus some of their signature nuts, plus a pub quiz, some beer mats, some card games, a beer pong set, and a chalice as well. And you can find that on BeerNuts.co.uk. And the FPL community get a discount as well. That's FPL five at the checkout. Um, We don't normally do adverts, but because it's a small independent business why not basically um, and plus they're sending me a nix and beer sorry Stag um, so yeah we'll, we'll definitely do that for them they don't ship to Belgium so. it's good to oh, support
2: yeah. um, you know the FPL community through these trying times and yeah um, yeah, definitely worth checking that out guys
1: anyway let's move on to the questions so the first question this week is the FPL Twisted Community Awards um, Late Rise asks us to name and fame a few people so there's four things here let's start with the first one your most and least favourite FPL managers now Stag How did you interpret it this week? So yeah, last week we had a question in
0: and it was about who your favorite FPL manager was. And I took that as a manager in the community. And I I think I went with Chief at the time. now here we are this week. And I was like, I've learned from my lesson. He's actually asking about actual managers. So I had decided that Eddie Howe was my least favorite manager manager from an FPL context because his press conferences are absolutely clear as mud. And there's just so many surprises. And like, look, it might not be as relevant this year, but the return of Ryan Fraser will come. Uh, And so, yeah, it's pretty frustrating, guys. Like, I (laughs) I never can interpret these questions correctly.
1: (laughs) Right, okay. So while you're thinking about those, uh, Nick and I will give our answers. So uh, least favorite FTL managers, let's start with negative. I don't actually have an individual here, but I have that guy who shows up the one week they do well doesn't say anything otherwise. So you'll see there's a few individuals over FPL to us that so everybody's seen them on the timelines. Some weeks just like, oh, 85 points plus this week, massive green arrow up to blah, 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 K. And then they'll be gone for a few weeks and then they'll, they'll post again when they do well and then they'll disappear again. So yeah, those are my least favorite FPL managers because I just think it's really, really dumb.
2: Yeah, I wasn't going to name it at least favourite FPL manager, because that would be me. That's unfair. But yeah, I think <laughs> I agree with your point there. And, um, you know, their favourite emoji is always the arm flex emoji as well, isn't it? It has to be accompanied by the arm flex emoji, doesn't it? But in terms of my favourite FPL manager, I think ultimately, it sounds a bit sick sycphantic, but it has to be, it has to be Mark Southerns, doesn't it? He's, he's the ultimate FPL celebrity. He's the brains behind fancy football scout and he was perhaps the first pundit that many of us listened to in terms of following for FPL advice. Um, he's no longer sadly involved in the community but he's sort of playing FPL quietly on the side and always doing very very well and I think that adds a little bit to the enigma and the reputation of this guy. Um, he's just an absolutely fantastic manager as well, not afraid of a maverick decision or crazy minus eight outlandish punt and you know his record speaks for himself so I think to call out anyone as sort of my favourite FPL manager would have to be Mark I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely it. Like the man, the mystery, the legend, Mark Southern it has to be the best because um, the fact is that. There's the extra twist of excitement with Mark, and there was always that capacity to take that minus eight and for it to come off. You know, like uh, things like picking out what was it? What was it, Sol Bamber, wasn't it? Being the guy who was getting on the end of the Morrison flick-ons and getting those points in, getting that guy on the minus four and getting loads of points from that stuff like that. Mark was great at doing. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, he's a no longer part of it, but I agree with everything Nick said. There, absolutely excellent.
0: I've, I've given this some thought, and I'm not, obviously, like you guys, I'm not going to uh, attract a lawsuit here for slandering somebody with the least favourite, but my favourite FPL manager, I'm going to give a shout out from a community point of view to a fellow Irishman, to FPL King, who, um, unfortunately, the Irish FPL meetup wasn't able to go ahead due to the corona thing, but I wasn't going to be able to attend, so selfishly, I'm delighted that I might have a chance of actually attending this meetup when it does <laughs> actually come. And King also puts together the week in FPL, like one page, like front page of a newspaper type thing, which kind of brings the whole community together satirizes what's going on it usually tends to be pretty tongue-in-cheek I like it a lot
1: yeah that's brilliant I, I really like that as well and hopefully I'll be able to actually go to the Dublin meetup Um I did lose a, a little bit of money I think actually from cancelling the uh, the, com- the accommodation but no, no bother I think I'll uh, whenever we can we'll meet again I definitely will next thing uh, is the funniest person in the community so I guess uh, there's one obvious answer for a lot of people here and I think Nick he was the one who you'd written down
2: yeah, I, I think that uh, FPL Partridge obviously deserves a, a shout-out here for his entertaining videos. Um, brought lots of humour, lots of fun and entertainment, even being retweeted by the likes of Alan Sugar. I think down, he's done a downfall one, um, which is just a, uh, the Adolf Hitler film, it's very, very good. Um, he's done um, many Marco's videos, which are very, very funny spoofs of them, um, FPL, the breakdowns basically. I think this season, particularly this season, he's had a bit of a shocking season, which has um, rendered itself very um, useful for humour, and um, he's done the apprentice one as well and i think these videos it's very very funny he always brings a laugh um, out for people and, and long may it continue
0: yeah uh, maybe kind of going down that line of um fpl self flagellation for poor uh results uh hindu monkey comes to mind as a pretty funny uh tweeter he every, <laughs> no, every week he's <laughs> sacking himself and <laughs> he's just constantly kind of talking in like a third person board speak about his season i've found that pretty funny throughout the season and then uh, maybe uh, tom our guest last week was pretty funny too wasn't he
1: yeah, Adam's pretty good, isn't he? A no, uh, Hindi monkey did come to mind, but I'm in a group chat with him as well, and he does like often like leave in a hissy fit, and then like send me a message a couple of days later going, "Can you get me let me back in the group, please, mate?" <laughs> so yeah, definitely a uh, high on my list. Uh, Lucy Hyne as well. I think sometimes she'll just write some of the most like acid sarcastic things on what people have written I think that they, they're always brilliant I always find them hilarious uh, Adam yeah um, at times he can be absolutely hilarious and other times he can be very very uh, cringeworthy indeed so uh, there you go right uh, next one pod other than your own that you really like well I mean on the way to the airport when I was leaving uh, for Australia I posted the podcast I was going to listen to I got inundated with that why, why don't you listen to this my god you've left out these guys I can't believe it and I was just like oh my god so a bit of a minefield, um, I'm going to think about how I diplomatically phrase this and throw this to you guys. This is meant to be an FPL thing, so is there an FPL one you can zero in on without annoying others?
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, there, uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I, I do really enjoy
0: the Always Cheating podcast and I enjoy the Three Amigos podcast as well for all the banter.
2: Cool so I think um, I'll name two other podcasts just so we're, we're uh, fair and even to everyone but I think um, I, I feel like um, what the Planning FPL guys have done this season has just been incredibly impressive in terms of just getting and rolling out pods just every single day I think just this sheer amount of effort that James has put in in particular uh, this season has, has just been amazing and I, th- I feel like those guys um definitely deserve a call out for, for all the work that they have put in there. Um, I'd also mention the, the um, FPL Surgery Dads. I feel like that that's one of my favourite podcasts. I feel like it's always, you know, the amount of detail that they go into um, is um, very impressive and I um, hope they continue on as well because I know that um, James Drury has been thinking about um, this being the final season for the podcast. So, so we'll see what happens there.
1: Yeah, those are my two actually, Nick, for sure. I like the fact that we do like all genuinely get on in person as well and we meet um, and do try to obviously we'll support each other, which is really cool. All right, um, and the final bit is the member of the community you'd quarantine yourself with. Hmm... Hmm. <laughs> Not sure I want to quarantine myself <laughs> of any, to be honest. Um, Sarah's already putting up a bit, Nick is already putting up a bit Nick. But um, yeah, uh, any answers spring to mind here, people? Uh, I'm tempted to say no one except myself.
2: Yeah, I'd be tempted as well. I think if I was quarantined with Tom, I think we'd probably just end up driving each other completely crazy by, by the end of it. So uh, yeah, I have, no, I have no idea, to be honest. I think any answer I give would, would be a little bit weird as well. So
0: I have a constructive answer in a VFPL Viper purely because he's putting together these great fitness routines and I think he'd be just a very practical person to like motivate you and actually to actually somewhat stay in shape. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll give a shout out to Vipes there for his uh, very
1: good videos on uh, keeping fit in the home. Absolutely. In some ways, aren't we all in quarantine with each other anyway? Uh, <laughs> yeah. God, so sappy. That's total Adam Pritchard. Right. Okay. Moving on to the big question: How do we like our potatoes? Rank your favourite sty- style of potatoes as FPL Goops, uh, chips, jackets, roasties. How do the how how do we do them? I'm not going to rank them because there are too many ways to say potato. maybe should we say what our favourites are? And what, I, I don't know. How do we how do we take on this question? As a potato expert, Anthony, what do you think?
0: Wow, thanks. <laughs> so for me, it's um, it's definitely got to be my number one is in the summer when the, the golden wonders and other uh, curse pinks and things kind of come through in June, July, August time, you get these really beautiful flowery potatoes. You boil them with the skins on and all, and then just put a bit of butter in and mash them, have them with a bit of lamb or something. Very few things that are better than those potatoes in the middle of the
2: summer, the fresh ones. That's interesting. Still still working off the season, so I just have no idea when it's when, good. You just buy them from the supermarket and see what happens. But um, surprise, surprising, actually, I was, I was never really into potatoes when I was growing. I was, I was ultimately just like, I was a big fan of crisps and French fried, so the, the, the more deep fried, the better for me. But I think, you know, your, sort of, your boiled potatoes boxed down and nothing, nothing to it probably be bottom of the list. So, uh, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably rank the, the chips probably the most unhealthy of them all uh, first
1: yeah the curly fries uh, uh chips think triple think fried chips yeah. i mean, that i say chips I mean, that well, I means like McCain, well, I'm talking, talking
2: about curly fries just reminded me of my uni days where basically like every single meal i would eat would be some sort of like oven cooked meal with a side of curly fries and, and maybe a bit of lettuce and cucumber if i'm feeling <laughs> on the side so. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, these days i haven't had curly fries in the you know number of years now thought
1: it would be cheesy chips at 3am half drunk as well yeah maybe a smiley's or something like that uh, for, me, yeah. for me it's got to be roast potatoes if you cut them into little bits parboil them first until you can stick a fork almost through them there's still a little bit of resistance and then you strain off keep the water for your gravy afterwards right it's part of a roast dinner and then you put the potato on, onto a baking tray on, on, on maybe papyrus paper Back in my meat eating days, I'd shove uh, goose fat onto the potatoes and do some salt over them, some sea salt, so the big kind of chunky bits, and uh, some sage and maybe some rosemary as well. Smush it all around. All the potatoes were completely covered in this goose fat and also all the herbs and the and the salt and then roast them like that. My God, that's perfect. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Well, the vegan version, if you're interested, is just use olive oil and use uh, a new sea salt. And they come out basically, vaguely the same, but they're not as crispy as with the goose fat, but there you go. So, hopefully, that answered your question, Goops. Right. Next one. Uh, keeping with these kind of big hitting things, the socioeconomic impacts of COVID or coronavirus. One for Nick, because Nick's the finance expert here. <laughs> uh, Morpheus Fire asks, How long we reckon the recession post COVID will last? Nick, take it away.
2: I really have not got an answer for this question. I don't know what you want
1: me to <laughs> well, say. I said the man across <laughs> numbers. Mean you meant, right, you're no, meant no, the I'm, market forces. <laughs> I mean, following the statistics.
0: We, like, if it was socio economic impacts, like, but like, you know, positives that might like, come from this or something, you could like waft about it, but it's just like, when's this going to end? I
1: don't know. I've got no idea, man. And we say it at the start, we're not you going to talk about do. this, so. yeah. I'm not a single Sausage. That's what wow. some well, someone, someone
2: my, um, of my one my employees like asked me. Was just like, like, oh, so when are we going back to work? I was like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stupid question, boss. <laughs> when do you,
2: when are we going back to work? <laughs> he to me now. I was like, well, when do you think we'll be back in work? I'm like, well, I don't know. We're following government advice now. You know, <laughs> know. Like, well, It doesn't matter what I can think.
1: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you go back in work and see if it's safe? <laughs> I
2: just can't see uh, how it's gonna. You know, improve over the next few months. This is this is going to be a long-term thing for, for the whole entire world. So it could could be a couple of years that you know the socio-economic impacts um,
1: go on for. But who knows? Yeah, I think it's safe to say this is probably going to be a long-term thing, isn't it? Like after we come to some sense of normality, there is going to have to be some stimulus to get people buying stuff again. And maybe some sort of VAT holiday or something like that, just to kind of help things along. Um, you're seeing investors pull out, buy solid stuff like gold or just taking their money and sticking it under their bed at the moment, um, given how the stock market's are looking, So there's going to have to be some stimulus in order for things to improve. But yeah, no, I think it's just going to be when stability returns and that. that is. People don't like unstable time. Volatility doesn't seem to be the friend of stability. Um, well, it never is, is it?
0: Am I ready to come in on this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you don't have to if you want to. No, I, um, I
0: won't, yeah, I'll leave it.
1: Cool, all right. The next bit, uh, Remain Indoors, uh, Lucy Heiner asks, what's been good about being stuck indoors? Memes Um, and
0: just watching videos on Twitter and stuff has pretty much been keeping me going. Like I've actually found that so far I've been So, like, I'm still working and I'm kept so busy that I haven't actually got anywhere near going through all the plans that I had to watch movies and read books and do things. Like, I I kind of find, like, I'm still just operating on a day-to-day basis, you know, I get my one-hour run-in in the day, I get the shopping done every few days, and I just work for hours, and I feel that just the days pass pretty quickly. So, it hasn't actually been that bad being stuck indoors.
2: Well, I think many many of us sort of gamers and nerds have been used to, to lives indoors anyway, so it's not too bad for us. But I think ultimately for me, I think um, not having to do my daily commute has uh, been appreciated. Uh, typically lose about two to three hours a day on that, and it does mean that I get a little bit more sleep in the morning, um, which is gratefully received considering I've got a son who doesn't sleep at night. So um, having that extra hour in the morning is, is very much appreciated. But yeah, um, being stuck indoors, it's, it's not as bad as it's, you know, it could, be, it could be a lot worse. I saw actually an article on the BBC about how we would have all coped if this happened in 2005 compared to 2020. And, you know, those were the days where we didn't have smartphones. YouTube um, didn't exist or was in its infancy. And, you know, we didn't have um, streaming services like Netflix out there and social media websites like Facebook, Twitter. It would have been a very, very different world. So I think we're quite lucky, to be honest, that, We're having this crisis in in a world where we're all interconnected and we can all talk very easily like we are right now, which um, wasn't around in 2005.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, all we do normally is we go from one one building, the one we live in, to another building where we work, and then back again. And that's basically, for the majority of the week, what we've lost. Um, so in some ways, I mean, being stuck indoors, is it's okay. Um, human beings, as James Crott said this week, when it comes down to it, are ultimately just dogs, aren't we? We need to go out for a run every now and again. And what's has been good about being indoors? get more time gaming basically as nick said earlier all the nerds and geeks are loving this if i was doing what i used to do when i was at uni i'd be loving this even more but unfortunately i don't do that anymore right uh move on to the next question then vase (laughs) if your sergeant asks we pronounce that word vase vase or balls is there another way of pronouncing i don't know um how do we pronounce this it's a vase to me vase Vaz. Okay, good. V a r s. You
2: actually pronounce it vase.
1: No, I don't. I don't know why I said it that way.
2: Yeah.
0: What about the uh, very nice uh, small bread thing that causes issue? I don't want to like prejudice your answers. Can you type it? <laughs> can I okay. type
2: it? Yes, I can type it. Hang on. Sorry. I don't know what you mean.
1: Oh, scone.
2: <laughs> See, I don't even know. I I say both.
1: <laughs> I say scone, probably. Oh, because um. there's, there's the magic e at the end, so it makes the o sound.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very much a, a hardcore scorn.
2: I wouldn't say here. I wouldn't say con instead of code. No, that's the thing. But I still feel like it's a scorn. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things, isn't it? But I just try to abo- abide by the by the magic e makes the the vowel in the middle make say its say its name. Um, next one all right um psycho 11 so benny blanco a key worker shout out to you benny um great work Um, asks us to put together a psycho 11 um so yeah quite an interesting one um i've put some starters for 10 on here so in goal it has to be jens layman doesn't it Stuart pierce because uh, psycho and uh chopper harris your relative nick um famously just took everyone out in the old run uh, no yeah. matter who you were just went straight for your ankles yeah i'm sure he tells you the story of the family gatherings all right in the midfield um in the midfield I was just expecting you to go for Roy Keane and I
0: was going to have to like have an impassioned defense of Roy Keane for the next like, 10 minutes
2: ruining Alfie Gerharden's uh, yeah that was
1: he is he is a complete he no, is completely no, mad isn't he no
2: no no, folks no, no, no
1: why no, is he he's a hero
2: or even after he stormed out um, of the island, 2002 World Cup after a bust-up with, I um, oh,
0: was totally right. He
2: was totally right. Uh, <laughs> th- things, to things,
0: things, things, things weren't good enough, and he, uh, he has standards, and he held Ireland to account on that. Fair so, play to him.
2: Just by not playing at all. Okay.
1: All right. So I, I, I think that I think. Uh, okay, let's go with minority report here. Rules, and
0: <laughs> i would not stand over this <laughs> but, let's
1: be fair um, he's not a normal guy he has, has as much empathy no. as donald trump does doesn't he How about
0: no <laughs> not true at all he's very <laughs> he's very good around the dressing room sometimes
1: uh, yeah uh, i'm sure his uh, many successes since being a manager have shown that his his man management abilities are incredible oh, yeah. um,
0: Sunderland and promoted 2005 2006 <laughs> was it what a year
1: Anyway, uh, Maradona when he was drugged up, probably in the midfield. Um, there's another one there. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is the thing. It's like I've I've grown <laughs> I've grown up in an era where football has been kind of like toned down a bit, and it's like you know you don't really make it in the professional era unless you've been somewhat controlled. Going That's
1: through be a bit of a hard question again. it's a, going-
0: a, like it's a, unless we've sat down and really thought this through, I don't know if it's going to fly. Yeah.
2: Just
1: Costa and Suarez. Oh, uh, in yeah.
0: fairness, Balotelli was the easy shout here
1: yeah yeah that's true i don't think basically we're going to be able to put together a, a proper team here for you benny uh just because we're too snowflakey effectively um but I'm, I'm sure you can probably guess the sort of people that we're thinking about um yeah i had Nat loft house as well uh, up front um, the story of him scoring a goal where he was unconscious no okay never mind all right uh next question uh my past job i remember that five jobs meme so rich fpl mentions that one of my old jobs was a receptionist at a sexual health clinic do i have any funny stories um yeah i do um if I'm going in the explicit category again here lads uh so um people used to phone up and when they phoned up a lot of people don't it just doesn't clock but they're, they're not going to be speaking to a doctor or nurse straight away so a lot of the time i just got the most disgusting p- things asked of me like i obviously clinically yeah of course you should be asking the nhs but like, <laughs> i was an 18 year old boy like sitting sitting on reception i was fielding ref- ref- calls like have you heard of bacterial vaginosis what are the symptoms and what happens when your clit is green <laughs> and i sure i had to like try to be professional about that but yeah it, it wasn't very good and uh yeah uh, I, I think also you know getting stuff uh, yeah okay I'm, I'm not gonna go into, into it too much yeah, there are quite a few funny stories but i think they're probably uh probably a bit too the sake of the podcast <laughs> Ah, Speaking of gross things, Nick, that beer's looking good. Uh, Hindu Hindu monkey Phil asks if any hair experimentation is occurring. So um, not for me, I don't think at the moment. Uh, Not for you, Anthony, but Nick, you're looking like you're about to go hunting in the woods. Um, Any experimentation going on?
2: Oh well, yeah I am growing my beard out as, as you mentioned Tom it has actually been longer than this I have gone um, crazy but normally I fall into some sort of peer pressure from work colleagues saying I'm, I must shave it and, and tidy it and sort myself out which I then tend to follow um, so obviously not being at work um, I thought yeah, screw it I'm just gonna see what happens grow it out as long as possible end up looking like Gimli or something like that. I, I was tempted just to shave my head as well and just look like a complete nutter, but um, I'm not sure if I'm going to go down that road uh, this time around. But yeah, yeah, a bit of a hair experimentation. Why not? You know, you only live once. I know you guys probably could uh, would struggle to to grow a beard like this, so maybe that's why it's not in your size. But you, sure, you can't get haircuts at the moment. So, yeah. Uh,
0: no and that's actually part of my issue, Nick, is that you can't get a haircut here in Belgium at the moment, so like I, I'm starting, this is already starting to get a little bit too, like a mop on my head. I was approaching the need for a haircut as the lockdown began. My issue is that like, I get to having a mullet really quickly if I don't control the hair and I look like, <laughs> yeah, I, I look like a seventies or eighties cross country runner or tennis player or something like very rapidly. The hair starts to curl and things. So I don't know if I've, there's a bit of a trend going on now of just yeah. going fully yeah, bald and I'm, I'm genuinely tempted by it. Well, I've yeah, never saw, done it
2: before. I saw that the Hazard brothers, um, Aidan, Torgan and Killian have all shaved their heads and um, so has Stephen Graham who got his son to do it and um, John Richardson was tweeting about how he's thinking about doing it. So yeah, why not join, join that plan and uh, go for the full shave and uh, film it on Twitter for, for lols as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I change, like, put a few like, mohawks in and stuff along the way as it like, goes towards them um, being fully cleared of hair to be, <laughs>
1: be a good tweet. <laughs> yeah, I might I might have to as well. Um, might have to do it. Um, yeah, I see if I can get um, get my other half to cut my hair and see if she can just have a go because frankly, who's going to see it apart from her anyway? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad. So like, on, on the week that I go back to work, I did get my hair cut that week because it was getting a bit ridiculous. I haven't cut it for two months. But if we're in until you know, May, then I think that I'm going to start looking like a mushroom because my hair just grows outwards, which is really, really annoying. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe I will shave it again. I don't really like shaving my hair, but meh, If it needs to be done, it needs to be done. So yeah, no experimentation. And as, as Nick has pointed out, neither of us can probably grow a beard. So um, yeah. Uh, right, next question. Uh, Tom's trilogy. So Tom Campbell, with a few questions he asks me. Um, how will you personally remember Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal? A game of two halves, obviously. Um, for Nick, uh, what's your preferred uh, starting formation and style of play on watching Spurs? And Anthony, what your best on-field partnerships you remember? So I'll go first. Um yeah, I think as I as I said, game two halves. Um when Wenger came in, obviously re- revolutionized how the game was played and looked at in the UK or in England, I suppose I should probably say the ideas, is nutrition, things like that completely changed things. Chew to win uh, famously uh, spending your time, chewing your food, giving those kind of marginal gains. I think Martin Keown uh, initially was complaining about those and obviously saw the benefits because his career was extended all the way to the invincible season. Um, but I think after that, it became a study in not exactly being a specialist in failure, but just putting too much faith in really rubbish players, you know, players like De Nilsen, players like Al Munya being in goal, not buying a defence midfielder, like really clear and obvious blind spots, the things that happen when you're in a club for too long. I think those things did kick in. And as much as, you know, the initial start point was great. I think by the end, it was probably the best that he did go or at least bring someone else in and move upstairs, something like that. Obviously, you wouldn't have shot Bambi and got rid of him um, 2002, 2003, 2004 or something like that. But, after a while, a banter club. Yeah, exactly. Things just changed, didn't they? So for me, the best
0: on-field partnerships that I remember, I always like Stephen Jared and Fernando Torres were this absolutely fantastic combination. Kind of around the time that I started to really, really get into football, I kind of considered the uh, 05 FA Cup final as a starting point for me. Um, with kind of watching football continually and following things on the the teletext or C-Fax for you guys in England and. Uh, kind of move from there. So Gerard Torres would be one. I think the impact that Virgil van Dijk has had on his centre-back partners, especially at Liverpool, has been something to behold. And so it's not so much an on-field partnership as what van Dijk can do to somebody else, but I found that incredibly compelling to watch Uh, from an FPL point of view it's hard to forget what Yaya Torre and Sergio Aguero used to do together for years upon years Um, there was obviously the real Yaya glory year especially but yeah a fantastic pairing Uh, thinking a little bit more laterally and maybe outside of just singular partnerships I would think back to the real kind of as far as I was concerned glory era for Ferguson's I guess third wave at United and that was the team with Rooney Ronaldo Tevez and Chicharito all firing on all cylinders together I guess with nanny kind of supplementing from the wing as well. That was a sight to behold. The way all four of them kind of contributed and did their bit for what was a scintillating team to watch. And just I guess it was a time for me where I was really into football. I was at the Old Trafford twice um, while that team were active, and it was just great to watch.
1: I think nothing for me is like, probably coloured by FPL a little bit, uh, but Suarez and storage. There's probably one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, was, like, the, the Vars, original SAS, Barty yeah. and Myers. No, the original was SAS was uh, Sutton and Shearer actually. Oh, um, yes, yeah, You're, right. you're sorry. Uh, right. they Blackburn Rovers, in uh, 1994, 95, when they won the title. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though. I think I always think of a few of those.
0: You, your call is often talked
1: about as well as something,
0: but I. Oh yeah, n- yeah. No, nothing I was around for, so.
1: We need to watch some of the highlight rules of those. So, there's some a, of them, it's telepathic the, some of the connection between those two.
0: Yeah, United's treble season. The whole thing. There's a summary of it. as available on YouTube. I'm going to sit down and watch it one of the days. I think I watched it when I was about 10, but I'll, I'll do it again.
2: It is the perfect opportunity to catch up on your football history, really. this sort of period. <laughs> it's, it's a very rare fallow period when no football's actually happening and you can just like research into the past.
1: Oh, and for Nick Spurs,
2: so, so, it won't surprise anyone that I prefer sort of an attacking um, possession based style of play. And I'm certainly not like a fan of some of the more recent setups that you've seen recently with the sort of five centre backs against Burnley with some sort of park the bus mentality. Um, yeah, and I'm obviously not a fan of that. I think I've, generally, I think in terms of formations, I've, I've always been a sort of my football manager setup as a sort of 4 2 three, 1. Um, set up so you know you'd have like the, the wingers um, being sort of Son and more uh, or um, Lamella on, on the ring, and historically that might be in a sort of Bale and uh, Van der Vaart Lennon sort of set up with a Jermaine Defoe type character um, in the number nine position or Harry Kane, obviously. Now, um, and we, I think going forward, it'd probably be like a Deli Ali sort of playing sort of behind as a supporting striker, which has shown his, his best form in playing. I think, unfortunately, with Spurs at the moment, there there are some. Serious upgrades that need to be made in a number of positions. I think, ultimately, your fullbacks um, is a key area which we need to look at. I think previously we you know, see had gone of the days where you had um, Kai Walker and Danny Rose in their prime, or um, even Kieran Trippier, um, and you know the, the fullbacks really need upgrading. And I think in the midfield too as well. I think is there's a future end on Millet as, as a box to box midfielder and some form of defensive midfielder supporting him, maybe or even a Lo Celso type character, but. Um, maybe is Eric retired, rubbish now. But I think yeah, um, to answer Tom's question, yeah, four, I think four two three one would be my favourite sort of style of formation, and and generally just attacking. But I think that's, that's just natural for all football fans to that they like to see that sort of attacking formation.
1: happen under Mourinho, though, let's see if the football ever does come yeah, back. Well, we'll see.
2: We'll see. It's a, yeah, it's early days, and he has been unfortunate with the injuries. But yeah.
1: Cool. Uh, pronouncement question. Um, favorite season ever? Let's take this one. Um, Andy, Mar- Andy Malcolm simply asked that. A quick shout out for his seven-year-old son Alex, who started playing FPL in game week thirty to practice for next year. Oh, uh, so he's, and apparently he still checks to see how he's doing. Bless him. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, very unlucky there, Alex. But hopefully next year you will be uh, number one in the world. Uh, but yeah, our favorite season ever, guys. What do we reckon? Do you want to take this as an FPL thing or as a proper football thing? I was going to take it as a football thing. I guess it'd be the travel season for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, the travel season. I remember it so well. I was. Two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
0: okay. No, um, I think for me, it may well be that season that I mentioned earlier where United had the attack flowing on all cylinders. I don't think it was the year they won the Champions League. I think it was the year that they won the Premier League and FA Cup double but lost the Champions League final to Barcelona. So I think if I'm correctly, that's 2008-2009. Uh, that was my favourite season
2: so, so um, yeah I interpreted this actually as an FPL season as opposed to a um, favourite Premier League season so I think in terms of FPL and it's, it's always going to be the t- two seasons that you did the best in um, so for me I think there's two seasons one was the first season we did the pod um, which was just a you know real really fantastic season um, really enjoyed it and you know the amount you know doing all the content for the pod and everything it was just you know it's a great year and then the other was in a tough year in my life but it was uh, the year that I sort of fell in love um, with FPL and I I think we talked about it on the, you know, get to know us pods, but you know, that season when I sort of first fell in love with um, FPL and I was in hospital, but I ended up actually um, scoring my best overall rank of all time. And it was, it was the season actually Harry Kane emerged from the scene. And I just, being a Spurs fan, I'd seen this year, League performances got on him early and uh, really paid dividends. Um, in terms of actual non-FPL, it's a, uh, it'd probably be It probably season Leicester won the league. It was a really good season for Spurs as well. So Spurs were, you know, absolutely fantastic performances. And, and, you know, it was a Premier League winner that I felt like I could get behind um, just because I, you know, I'm not a fan of Manchester United or Arsenal, any of these other clubs winning the league. But with Leicester, it was like such a, such an underdog story. It was so miraculous that, you know, I thought it was just a, a really, really good season for the Premier League as well, especially you with know, all the detractors that say only two three clubs can win the Premier League. No other club can ever win it. You know, Leicester proved them all wrong, didn't they? So I thought that was a really good season.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, no no, uh, no real surprises about mine. Uh, 2003, 2004. Um, yeah, <laughs> the invincible season, basically. Um, is my favourite uh, proper season. And uh, in terms of FPL... Um, I think probably that the year that I had cancer as well was probably the, my favourite FBO year because that was my highest finish. Um, there you go. And um, yeah, that was I think mean, that was Leicester season as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, that was probably my best one. So there you go. Um. Best overseas in FBO, worst year of my life. There you go right and then the final uh, the final question this week is desert island discs hooray uh, so techie fpl asks for our desert island disc entries this also probably touched on the kenny McDowell's question about 10 albums we're isolated with but let's keep it to desert island discs I, I think i kind of prefer this question so for those not familiar with it it's a bbc radio 4 kind of classic show uh, where people go on to be interviewed about their life and they'll also play eight tracks that they like and um, plus also give one book and a luxury item um, that the idea of as the name may, may suggest is if you're stuck on desert island, these are the eight thing, eight tracks or eight um I guess music pieces or whatever you'd be stuck with plus book and you're not your luxury item. So what are you guys uh desert island discs? Anthony do you wanna start?
0: Yeah, I've, I've done my best to think us through and I have managed to get eight songs together anyway. Um, I really enjoy Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, but to be honest, you could have taken quite a few other U2 songs and subbed them in there as well. Uh, City of Blinding Lights, Sunday Bloody Sunday, it would have all been on that. Then from Oasis, uh, Champagne Supernova is probably my favorite of all their songs. Um, Hurt, as covered by Johnny Cash, I always enjoyed. And Personal Jesus, not the Johnny Cash cover, but the Depeche Mode cover. I really enjoy that. There is a song called Mary Keane's Introduction. It is a song that has been basically a, an Irish musician did an interview with his then 80-something-year-old grandmother. And she was talking about her life growing up in County Clare um but he overlaid it on techno and it came out as this absolutely brilliant bloody (laughs) boffin tune that i I just i love listening to it it's such a such a good tune and it kind of all comes together really well Uh, his name is Dahi, by the way that's d-a-i-t-h-i uh joxer goes to stuttgart as a Song I enjoy Christy Moore's song um, But it's about uh, Ireland going to Euro 88 And obviously before my time But uh, but still A great tune And has a nice story to it It's a, it's a funny one But it's also a good one Razor Light's uh, song America Kind of came out Whilst I was kind of Just oh, nice. discovering That music existed Oh my um, love Watching America <laughs> that's, the, that's, <laughs> that's the one And like Anytime I think of that any, like, I was on the very first album I ever owned It was like You know those Now albums That used to come out It was like Now 65 oh, nice. or something And there it was like, I think it was the first tune I was like I love it. Yeah. And uh, I've thrown in Don't Look Back in Anger here, the Oasis song as well, but honestly, you could have give or taken quite a lot of U2 or Oasis songs in that category there. Book, um, I've gone for A Bridge Too Far, but honestly, I could have picked any book. Um, a Bridge Too Far is a book about the Battle of Arnhem during World War Two by a guy called Cornelius Ryan. I um, really enjoyed it, and there's an awful lot of detail in it, so if I'm stuck on an island, I might as well uh, get really into the nitty-gritty detail of that book. And then a luxury item. It's nothing to do with the fact that I'm on an island and everything to do with just what I enjoy doing. I wouldn't mind having a boat just to be able to sail around this island.
2: Um, yeah maybe a fishing rod <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> okay, okay, it's <laughs> a um so yeah i, I, I as usual i've misinterpreted slightly i didn't read it properly um so when it came to eight recordings i actually picked out albums instead of uh, singles but um i thought maybe i'll, I'll think off, on top of my feet and, and name my favorite song on each one of those albums that i picked out um just because uh, it's, yeah, it's more fun that way. So um, I think his first album I picked out was Radiohead, OK Computer. It's a sort of seminal al- album. It's probably one, one of my favourites, one of Tom's favourites as well. Probably the ultimate tune is there's probably Paranoid Android. Um, Tips to Police is, the, is probably the best song. Uh, just, just an absolutely fantastic, fantastic anthem. Um, secondly, um, I've got, it's another one of mine and tom's favorites is block parties weekend in the city um just really grew up with that album just really you know means so much to me that album it's just like growing up and just <laughs> everything um so i think i really basically is it, that is like an album for me it's not really a particular track that really um sticks out maybe i actually really like well it's not one of the singles for me but i probably like really like Kreutzberg um as a song i just think. Um, a fantastic fantastic song so maybe i'll pick that one out and um, then then i've picked that stuff in Stevens come and feel it in. noise um very much sort of going into the american indie music scene here um, another album that i really grew up with most of these albums actually came out in sort of a period of sort of 2003 to 2006 which um just was sort of those sort of key years for growing up before i sort of stopped listening to new music and and Chicago's so is just a fantastic song that Everyone needs to listen to from that album um, Then I've got The Shins, O Inverted World Anyone who's seen Garden State will know New slang, um, you listen to this song And it will change your life um, a Classic quote, <laughs> Tom knows it um, You look perplexed Anthony But uh, yeah. a bit dumb, <laughs> um, Then we've got Arcade Fire Funeral, another great album A toss up between Neighbourhood 2 and Neighbourhood 3 But I'd probably go for Neighbourhood 2 is The best song, and um, then going back in time A little bit, The Queen is Dead, The Smiths great great album um and then probably i suppose there is a light that never goes out that's kind of the, the seminal anthem on that album uh black holes and revelations going back into the 2004 theme uh for muse and probably Knights of sidonia is just, just like a, a classic if you've ever seen that song live it's just absolutely banging it's just a, such an amazing anthem for sort of a live gig and i think Muse are probably one of the best live bands i've ever seen um, we'd love to see them again at some point and then just a switch of genres i've gone for outcast speaker box the love below which is just a 40 song epic album um and a great a great one of that and it's probably just pick a song probably be roses just because it's a sort of classic single from those all the zero zeros and um, from the rap era so yeah those, those are my um records uh, for the book i'd probably pick something i haven't read something Epic that I'm never gonna have time to read otherwise. So I've gone for War and Peace by uh, Leo Tolstoy, never read it, and uh, probably should at some point in my life. So why not take it to my desert island? And then, um, luxury item I, di- I didn't think as practically as you, I just said I'll take my Nintendo Switch and play some games on it and keep me occupied for a significant period of time. So, Thomas, your turn.
1: Cool, oh, good. I've it's uh, it's actually quite tough uh, to do uh, to borrow one of your lines, Nick, to do uh, eight songs that I really like and also that don't just like expose me as being a really joyless person because a lot of my music is is really like kind of wailing indie. So I did have the top of the list hurt. I Johnny cash, um, and then that it's a, it's a great tune. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that and that moved into uh Hold on Magnolia by Magnolia Electric Company, which not many people have heard of. It's an American country brand, and, and these singers now are RIP sadly, but uh, a fantastic song. um Fake Empire slash Current saw by my favorite band, uh, The National. A song for Clay um off the Weekend in the City. That's probably my favorite Blood Party song of all. Paranoid Android, I think, will probably make the cut. Maybe hit. Maybe that, or maybe no surprises. I've always harbored a bit of love for. Um, Honourable Mentions didn't make it, um, but there is Light like, Never Goes Out and Boys Don't Cry as well by The Cure. Uh, also The Scientist by Coldplay that has a particular resonance with me. Um, I know it's a really cheesy song, but it was before they sold out um, and has, has a particular uh, place in my life, that particular song. A couple of other ones as well. Uh, Juicy, bon Tours, B. I. G. Um, I used to be able to rap that whole thing. So I think if I was in Desert Island, I would, I'd probably just make sure that I can rap it. I was planning at one point to rap it on the podcast. I told Sarah about it. And she was like, do not rap on the podcast and she's probably right um and uh, uh i'd have to have a frank ocean song or two um on this particular desert island because i bloody love frank ocean um outside of uh whaling indie so i would probably go with uh, bad religion or ivy so i think my eight probably be i think I've, I've named loads of songs there one two three four five six i've got nine there damn it fake empire by national juicy bun Torres big holder magnolia by magnolia retro company Song for Clay by Block Party, The Scientist by Coldplay, Hurt by, cover by Johnny Cash, Paranoid Android by Radiohead, Religion Ivy, maybe Ivy by Frank Ocean, but yeah, it's it's very close. Uh, Book, uh, if I can cheat, I'd take an escott Scott Fitzgerald compendium so I can read all of that. I think that would be really, really good. Um, but what sort of thing do people read when they're on things like this? Maybe something like The Bell Jar or something like that, um, taking into account what you, what you said, Nick, about like taking time to read something that you, that you wouldn't normally have read. So maybe that or Down and Out in Paris, New York, something like that, I'd probably take with me. But yeah, a compendium of Scott Fitzgerald if I possibly could, if not just Great Gatsby or Tender is the Night. And the luxury item. I was thinking uh, cigarettes. I, I don't smoke any anymore. If I, if I was on Desert Island, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> but then I realized if, if I'm on Desert Island with cigarettes, I won't have a lighter. So <laughs> that's going to really suck. Oh, I wouldn't be sucking, I guess, would, be the, would actually be true. Um, so maybe an inexhaustible e-cig would be my luxury item. Like I could just use the whole time I was there because it means I wouldn't have to ch- charge it or plug it in. It would never run out of battery and it would never run out of nicotine stuff. So maybe that, maybe that would just keep me company. Very unhealthy, isn't it? Right, that's uh, so that's round it off there, I think.
0: Yeah, so I guess that's all those questions. Thanks very much for sending them in, guys. Just to say, of course, we are Who Got the Assist. You'll find the Twitter account at WGTA underscore FPL. You'll get Nick at WGTA underscore Nick. You'll find me, FPL Stag, at FPL Stag. We also have an Instagram account now, at wGta.fpl. Uh, we will be back next week and we will continue uh, on into the other however
2: long it takes us cheers guys for listening stay safe all
1: well I'm not even sure if this is going to assist you to do anything um, but yeah <laughs> <if> <laughs> we, will, we will be back uh, we will be back uh, next week uh, I think after a while we'll probably end up having to stagger this if if it is that we're in for a long time but yeah this becomes a meme review podcast <laughs> yeah. yeah probably we'll have to come on a, a bit more original but yeah cheers all oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist